Let the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We build, we build a life together. It's language that we use. And even a, a few weeks ago, Oprah Winfrey and Arthur Brooks, who is another author I've referenced a few times in sermons, they released a book, Build the Life That You Want. It's the language we talk about uh, when we talk about the life that we want to create. It means that we have agency. We can shape what it is that we value and prioritize, where we spend our time and our resources, the friendships that we cultivate, the fam family members that we love. It implies that there is an outcome, a future, a home, maybe that we build in our ego and our self embodies. We build a life together. And while certainly there is much of our life that is out of our control, such as what others might do or say or how they act, and our life is constantly impacted by the decisions of others, there is always within our life some control that we have, how we respond what we let ourselves think or feel, when we choose to forgive, or when we choose to be curious, or we choose to be satisfied. We can often choose the response to what we hear or feel or the actions done upon us, at least on our best days when we're grounded and prayerful and thinking clearly. We build our lives. A friend of mine recently completed arguably the greatest physical accomplishment of the modern day, a full Ironman race. For those of you who don't follow the extreme challenges that some people willingly do, and most rationally peop rational people wonder why, an Ironman is a total distance of 140.6 miles, not including all the transitions. It's a 2.4-mile swim, and when you get out of the water soaking wet, you get on a bike and ride 112 miles. And after your legs are jelly, you, you get off of your bike and you run a full marathon, 26.2 miles. The average athlete burns between 8,000 and 10,000 calories in a race it takes months of serious training, several hours every day, a change in routines and scheduling, even how one eats. It becomes a way of life, and it especially impacts those who are closest to the one training. I couldn't wait to hear about his race. I'm, we were texting after he finished. And I, I was really eager to hear about what it was like to accomplish such a remarkable feat. And then when we checked in later in the week on Wednesday, I, I didn't get what I expected. It was all right, he offered. 
I don't really feel any different. And then he shared something that I'd never thought about. He shared that there's a, a mild form of depression that sometimes seeps into these extreme athletes, that feeling of somewhat, um, or why do I not feel any different or better? Or I don't even feel like I've accomplished anything that meaningful. And apparently it's a pretty high number of people who complete an Iron Man and realize that their life is no different afterwards. Expecting to have this great sense of accomplishment and yet noticing there's this feeling of emptiness. What's next, they say, as if there's nothing more to do. And then my friend shared something else that kind of caught me off guard. We meet, um, when we meet for Bible study, we offer up moments where we see and encounter God in our, in our week. Um, that's how we, we begin every week. And, and he shared, and it caught me off guard, he shared that actually he realized that his faith was more important than these accomplishments and how it grounded him and helped him not only find joy but meaning and faith. And he, he probably should be here preaching, but he went on uh, fall break. But it hit me. I mean, I mean, think about that. The, I, don't, I don't think this is a new phenomenon. All those things that we set our minds and hearts to, and then we accomplish them, and we are no different. I suspect there's a lot of y'all that are pondering retirement and wondering maybe some of those same questions. We build a life together. In today's gospel, Jesus continues with this vineyard parable that we've, we've been hearing this, this same imagery for the last several weeks in, in our gospel readings. And um, even, it's a reminder that we're all part of working in this, this kingdom, this vineyard. It's not new imagery, and actually, one of the alternative readings for today um, that we could have heard is the fifth chapter of Isaiah, which is also a vineyard Reference where God has planted these choice vines and yet it's yielding wild grapes. God has expected justice and righteousness and yet God's people are involved in injustice and violence. It is yet another example of God giving people a way to life. And, and in our Old Testament reading today, I mean, I think I've realized that, that actually the the um, Ten Commandments, it's just a beautiful ordering of how we live. Like if you follow this order of life, if you love God, if you don't have idols, if you, you don't do these ridiculous things, you will find joy and purpose. It's a way of ordering your life. And yet people, we have everything we need to thrive and love and live, and we fail to recognize that gift. We fail to take care of the vineyard. I mean, we're living in this beautiful vineyard 2,000 years after Jesus' time, probably 2,700 years after Isaiah. We have more leisure, technology, and wealth than ever before, and we can't figure out how to make sense of this beautiful life. Living disordered putting all the wrong emphasis on things in our life, thinking we need to do ridiculous challenges to find meaning or purpose, failing to grasp what is truly important, failing to care for the things that are sacred, 
failing to care for each other, putting profit above values. And it's, I mean, I'm not talking about just here. I mean, it's, God, what a, 2,700 years after that passage about Israel, violence is rocking their country. It is the narrative of our human existence. And maybe it's why Jesus quotes Scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's amazing in our eyes. Now, we've got some builders and a few architects here. I'm not a builder, but I, I know that a cornerstone is the the, the, the piece that, that goes in often first and, and, and the building is dependent upon it. And so if you imagine that we're building this life together, this, this life together, the cornerstone is the first piece that's placed that everything is staked upon. And if it's to be removed, it fundamentally alters the soundness of the structure. I imagine it's like pulling out that, that very bottom piece on a game of Jenga weakening the tower, knowing that it will come tumbling down soon. The key for the lives that we build together, maybe the key for the world that we build together, that the way of Jesus Christ, this, this vision of humility, of care, of pouring out ourself to love others is the way of life and the key to our identity. I'm struck by my friend's story, wishing that I could have realized the same thing. And I want to take it a little bit farther. I think it's not just that we, we hold on to our faith, but it's actually in seeing, it's in seeing faith as the center of our lives that helps us to be more satisfied, fulfilled, and more generous followers of Jesus. It's also how we see God in the midst of everything. We had a baptism a few weeks ago, and we, at the, at the 9 o'clock, when we had the children, what, what we're actually doing is we're saying that their identity changes to see that God's in the midst of everything that they are to experience. And that the congregation's the reminder of that. And then last night, I stood um, five feet from here, and I had a couple turn around and look at the community that their love had gathered together and ask them to see that their love was teaching this whole world that God's a part of everything. I mean, it, we're all here. Like, we wouldn't know each other if it wasn't for God working in our lives, right? I mean, that's, you see that especially present in a wedding. And tomorrow I'm going to head to be with a, a friend of the family at, at his um, at his funeral to proclaim that even in death, God is a part of their lives. I mean, if Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our lives, what that means is that we learn to see God in everything. In our vocations. In our relationships. In the mundane tasks of our ordinary existence. All of it is a part of God's work in this world. Thanks be to God. What kind of life 
do we want to build together? I hope it's a life that is grounded in seeing God in the fullness of our lives. As I think about this, there's a prayer in the prayer book that, that captures this for me. And to make Virginia Hill House happy, <laughs> I would like you all to take out your prayer books. <laughs> Actually, it's to, to illustrate my sermon, it's the real reason. And if y'all would turn to page 836, and I'd like us to read this prayer together, that for me helps us to see God in the midst of everything that we do. And let us read this together. Accept, O Lord, our thanks and praise for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the splendor of the whole creation, for the beauty of this world, for the wonder of life, and for the mystery of love. We thank you for the blessing of family and friends, and for the loving care which surrounds us on every side. We thank you for setting us at tasks which demand our best efforts, and for leading us to accomplishments which satisfy and delight us. We thank you also for the disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on you alone. Above all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the truth of his word and the example of his life, for his steadfast obedience by which he overcame temptation, for his dying through which he overcame death, and for the rising to life again, which we are raised to the life of your kingdom. Grant us the gift of your spirit that we may know him and make him known through him at all times and all places.